0: further ado, I do want to welcome up our speaker for the night, um, seems like a really cool guy, this is my first time meeting him, but we actually had a different speaker a little earlier, and he filled in with like a week's notice, so really grateful for that, and uh, as I was saying in the ad, I think it might be a little bit of an upgrade. <laughs> But uh, we're excited. We're gonna excited to have Justin in, in a few months. He said he'd come back with us. He's actually closing today in North Carolina some apartment complex deals. So congrats to him. Um, anyway, what I what I really like I listened to some of uh, Jason's podcasts actually, and what I liked is uh, him and his wife both do it. And I find that you know when when that couple has that uh, shared dream, shared common purpose, and they're doing it together, that's so awesome. So really cool to see that, and then we became Facebook friends, so I saw he signed up for a 50-mile trek run through the woods, Hard and so, idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I signed up for a marathon in September, so I was like, oh, that's 50 miles, yeah. there's a lot more in the woods, sounds a lot more fun though. But uh, yeah, it's uh, cool to see it's it. you here at the end, Peace at the end, so... <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I'm really co- excited to have Jason here, and hear uh, excited to hear his story for myself, and uh, so let's uh, welcome Jason.
1: Hey everyone, how's it going? Sorry, that's
0: just recording.
1: Not oh, just recording? Live. Perfect. Yeah. It can go either way. All right, that better. Yeah, that better. Awesome. So, yes, I'm Jason Urussi. Um, Let's give it up for Sonny and Chong. Thank you for putting us on tonight. These are great events, right? Because you get everybody together. Everybody's trying to do a lot of different things, and I can touch on it because I've done a lot of different things, and you will see my trajectory of where I've really gone here. That is not me. There it is. Okay. So, like you said, um, the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast is uh, my podcast uh, with my wife, Peely. Um, she really brings it up, so I take it down just as it goes. She would be here tonight, but we have three amazing kids, four and a half and under. So, it's hard for us to find a babysitter that will give us two, three hours away, as you can imagine. Uh, Our companies is Yerussi Holdings. That's our company that really focuses on all of our flipping business and Oak Capital Partners for which we have a little over 420 units. It goes on another 32 unit next month, but that's been the end run of where we're going with our future business here. Um, That's not everything we do, and a lot of my focus goes, of course, here's my family, and that's, that's my big why, why I do this, and again, You get two out of three of every point always looking at a picture, and then it's downhill. You'll never get three if you have three kids. (laughs) So here's been our mission, and it's going to serve a uh, purpose for you guys to understand it when we get to the next part, but raising communities really one home at a time. And when you see what we do in my family business on a daily basis is we raise homes. My dad's been doing this for over 45 years now so we've moved buildings we lift homes we do a lot of if you can just imagine the craziest projects we're the guys who do them so when Hurricane Sandy happens to think that business got busy would be a polite thing to say we could work 25 hours a day eight days a week we did 1600 homes and this really needs to be updated of basically taking homes that got hit by Sandy or got roped into a flood zone. I see Tom's River back there. We're in Howl. I've worked on there every day. I used to live houses, so I get it. Yep, so we've been doing that many years, and it's not an easy business, right? You can imagine if you could get close enough to my hands, um, pretty much they've all been broken at some point. That finger is never coming back, right? So this work doesn't get easy, and noting how this has been what we're going to do and what we're going to continue to do, it's a job. If I don't go to work tomorrow, it's transactional. We don't make money. If we don't go out there and just really get at it and get into these houses and move them, we don't make money. So it occurred to me a number of years ago, well, what's going to be the difference here? What's going to be the difference in our life? What is going to be this point where, okay, am I going to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Well, then I'm not going to see my family. I'm not going to be with my kids. We're having, you know, we had to ramp up our business where you know, you're, we used to do 15 of these a year. And all of a sudden, now we're doing over 200 a year. So to take this and to take this process, but still want to have this time on my hands, I, it just it clicked to me that I had to make some kind of change. So of course, the natural progression is you do something else, which would be, well, you start flipping houses. Well, okay, we'll talk about that a little bit, but that becomes another transactional business, right? If you're not doing it, well, then it just turns it off. You know, the water turns off. So that was our first step. We started going into really Yurusi Holdings and just taking distressed homes and adding square footage to use them by really just using our house lifting and our general construction knowledge. Um, we took it to the extreme, right? And we'll step in. So this is a typical house in Manasquan. Just imagine this house had six, seven feet of water in it, damage, flood. Guys put it back together. There's a lot of towns out there where you know you can get back there and live, but now if you want to get a CO, well, you actually have to raise the home and elevate it to be able to become FEMA compliant. So we're able to pick up these homes at discounts. But the caveat here is we have to raise them. We have to do all that work, and we have to basically make it FEMA compliant. Well, we use that to our advantage because we're actually able to buy houses at steep discounts because not a lot of homeowners are going to come in there and say, okay, yeah, I want to go buy that home, and I want to go spend 120, dollars $150,000 to renovate this, spend eight months going through all the traffic and all the headaches to do that, and then I can finally live in that home. So we're able to buy these homes and add value. So what we would do is we would take it and lift it. And at this point it would at least be high enough where we could actually put a foundation in. And if you're on a street where there's really no parking, one of the few bonuses when you're flood is, if you can raise it, you can put a garage under it and at least get some off street parking. Very small point here. Then I think people would rather not be flooded and not lose all their possessions, but that's one of the small parts that can happen. But we took it a step further. This is a Cape in Manisquan, really nice beach town, houses sell very well. So we would take it. We actually took this story and we put it up to what is now the third story. And underneath it, we built a whole nother story. And underneath that, we built a garage. So on that point, we flipped the footprint because I used to have a uh, two one that had a kitchen and you know the kitchen living room all just basically railroad style all throughout. We took it, raised it up to the third level, took the kitchen, it was we completely got it out, took the kitchen, full bathroom, living room, dining room, foyer, everything moved downstairs onto what is now the second floor, because the first floor cannot be any living space because now we're in a flood zone. We also got off-street parking, and now upstairs, we're able to put three full bedrooms, including a master bedroom, master bath, and now the value just goes from there. If you can do that within the numbers here, you look at your retail price, if I can build for $110 a square foot, $120 a square foot, $150 a square foot, and I can now sell it for $200, $300 a square foot. You can see where the value can come in, and that's why we started making these choices. But what happens on these projects is there's a lot of things that are out of your control. One, towns got so flooded. Just imagine these small towns here. That you got, you know, Mary and, and Bobby who work in the building department. They're doing 20 permits a year and all of a sudden now they got to do 500 because there's all this flooding happening now. They're way overwhelmed so now they can't get the permits turned out. Well now you got all these inspections that need to happen. Well now these inspections instead of saying you're supposed to have this 72-hour window for for inspection to show up well now that 72-hour window is giving grace because they're so backed up it's two weeks. So now you know you're trying to do a foundation you can get a foot inspection and now it's going to take you another two weeks to be able to get that inspection so you basically have to stop that project. And what became a very big caveat is the utility companies. The utility companies actually have to come out and disconnect all the power. And now you can't do that until you actually own the home. So if I, if I brought this home, I'd have to call the utility companies to come out and shut off the power. So disconnect the electric, disconnect the gas. What happened, and it's not only us, I mean, we did this for 2,000 projects now, the, it happens that they may come in five weeks, they may come in eight weeks, they were so backed up that I couldn't start a project now because I couldn't put in my permits until this happened. I couldn't start a project for now three months. So nice and paper. We make some good money, but now you're holding just basically something that has no income coming in for eight, nine, ten months. So that's the one part is you have to look at when you're doing projects, what's in my control and what's out of my control. I can crush it. I can get in here and do this work. We can get these houses lifted. My brother and my dad, I mean, honestly, if we had both cruise room, we could do two of these a day. They get in there, they can actually lift this house. That's how how sufficient they are. Get this to happen in two times a day. But I may not be able to start the project for three, four months. And sometimes in, in a lot of towns, that's actually pretty quick for homeowners because there's so much red tape that's happened. Now, has it quickened a little bit? And will there be more opportunities again? Because now it's basically, I guess, weaning out? Sure. But at the point of trying to do this on volume, you always have to look at what your restrictions are in your business. Because again, if we're going to have all this capital tied up, you know, you buy it for, you know, 300, you have another 150, 160. If you're going to have all this capital tied up, because on the back end, I also have to get the utility shut back on, which may now be another five, six weeks. So we started looking to other towns, started doing some other work. Typical, typical, thing. Doing mailers, going out, you know, seller appointments, doing that point, just looking for the ugliest house in the block. Um, this just happens. I can't get away from flood vo- flood zones, so this just happened to be in a flood zone. But it was high enough, the floor, where I didn't have to lift it to meet FEMA requirements. So this house, you know, we call this the, the Gandalf house because the guy had a cat named Gandalf. He could never find. when We were in there because it was so packed. That he had string lights running all the way from upstairs downstairs that was running all the electricity in this and he was smoking these brown cigarettes i was just shocked it was a it was basically made out of terracotta which is like tile the house but that was the only reason the house wasn't burning down but it was so full with stuff no wonder we couldn't find the cats that i thought a closet was a bathroom so when we brought it i actually missed it because i actually made the mistake that i thought there was a bathroom on the first floor but it was the old contemporary styles where all the bathrooms were actually on the second floor but because I think I was one, worried, trying not to get burned down, two, worried that I was probably sitting on 10 dead cats and three, just couldn't get there. You know, you you make these mistakes. But for this, we were able to add value. Again, another project here, add on a whole addition to this, really just add the square footage because we're working in towns where we can build at a per cost per foot where we can sell greater. So that house turned out dramatically great, you know, and we were able to pre-sell this when it was in this state my amazing wife was able to do a Facebook Live in the house with the house completely gutted and we randomly found a buyer that could not find a four-bedroom, three-bathroom basically a month into it, so we had this pre-sold, which doesn't always happen, but if you can do that, you think of your costs and your holding costs that she was able to do this and it was pouring rain and we had stuff everywhere and she just put it up there and said, I'm just gonna do a Facebook Live in the house So, and just started marketing out there and we got a call the next day from an agent, walked it through and we were able to just sell them the dream. Guys, this is basically how the house is going to lay out. They had three young kids. They asked us for one change on a bedroom. Perfect. But we were such an early stage. So, a lot of different ways you can do things, but remember, marketing, the quicker you can turn your transactions around is super, super important. So, that now, of course, is taking homes to our highest potential. But the cost of profit becomes less stellar on all fronts because really, I can't control my plan, right? There's so many things that were out of my control. And again, I'm doing enough construction work. I'm just creating more jobs for myself and more things for us to do. So we started to progress and started to really think, okay, what are some things that we can do? What are some things we can do to to really create this passivity to our life and create this generational wealth that we're looking for? So... Oh, I'm past this. Uh, you know, I'll speak to Airbnb. Um, we do have another in Manasquan, two other Airbnb houses. Um, again, I was actually gonna lift these houses and sell these, turn them around, renovate them. But it took six months for my, my utilities to come back on. So I missed the summer. So here I am in the, in the midst of summer, like I was right, I missed the, the Memorial Day to get on here. Again, out of my control. But you have to have multiple exits. And when you do, it gives you an advantage. So for us, we looked at it and this before I was even thinking Airbnb, okay, we can rent these, you know, and these are mainly summer rentals. Okay. What can we do to really just maximize this, maximize this value? Well, the, there's actually a three bedroom house and a one bedroom house. Well, we were able to get the three bedroom house rented for the first half for uh, for the whole summer at really good rates. I mean, they rent, you know, between the summer, about $28,000, $30,000 for three months. But looking at the back house, If we were able to get it to before the summer, maybe we would be able to rent it for $9,000 for the summer, maybe. But we missed it, so we didn't have that time, and it was, you know, all the people had already rented. So looking at this, okay, are we gonna lose a summer and we don't have any point? What can we do? And we started looking into short term rentals. And that short term rental option really allowed us to add up where if we could make that $8,000, we were able to get $15,000 for the summer with that back house, just renting it night on night and night. Now, you want to look at your town rules, look at your restrictions, but we started putting it up on Airbnb, VRBO, Travelocity, Booking.com, and you have to stage the house and give your effect and know what your market is and know who your client is. So we are able to do that. It's been two great properties. I actually just put them up in the market to sell because we've just been scaling, so I have it under contract to sell. Um, I think my mom said because she she loved going over there and meeting Queen Lady and doing a little, little decorating thing because it's right by her, um, but again... We had that option, which would shave us with those houses because we'd be sitting ducks until after the summer. Then we go into winter and holidays. And again, now we're waiting to basically put houses on market. But what I found is that if you look at the short-term rentals, okay, I'm gonna go into winter. What happens in winter? Well, there's also things like corporate house by owner. Where there's, there's also things, uh, there's people who maybe uh, work in hospitals, or there's people here now um, who are uh, being tra- uh, transferred for jobs. So we got the whole winter rented out at a ridiculous rate, basically $3,500 a month when a house would basically be a $700 a month house because we furnished it and we're able to use a different scenario here to combine. So there's a lot of different things you can do today with all these sites out here to reach people who are in need because now these people are so happy They basically transfer jobs, we're out here, they need this short term stay, and the big thing here is that we had to have them out for the summer, but it worked perfect. Not always the perfect scenario, but we're able to find two aligning sources we're able to get the most value out of the house. And then the front house, we would again just rent it for the summer. Rent it either by half summers or full summers, just because it's a beach town. Thing there is uh, it's more again labor intensive, because now if you are gonna do Airbnb, great option, but again, it's all about your processes and the way we were able to really make it, I guess the less interactive is every time we got a question from someone, we would put that into our gauge of, okay, how much are we getting this question? So every time now we get a booking, we basically give the whole customer who was coming in to stay at the reservation a full list of all the, all the questions, everything they need to know. So, okay, yeah, check-in times here. You get the lockbox code 24 hours uh, in advance. Uh, you have parking in this driveway. You know There's room for this so many cars. There's towels. There's sheets. There's a coffee pot. And have all that information. And they would get an automated uh, email. 24 hours before booking, here's, here's all the things to move in. And then when they get there, there's an arrival point with, the, with instructions. Here's the places to eat, here's the places downtown. If you're looking for um, paddleboard or surfboards or bikes, here's where you go. Because it stopped the interaction with me or my office where I don't have to constantly, because when do people you know, ask questions add reservations? It's not you know, two in the afternoon. Eight at night, they want to know something. You know, nine at night, they want to know something. Eleven at night, you know, they, they want to know this stuff. So if you can get, give them as much as information and have this streamlined, it helps you in your process. And we'll talk about how we've been able to use that for some of our other processes moving into multifamily. So that said, I said, okay, we're, I, I'm just tired of even talking about it. We're, we're tired doing all this work, right? We're tired. So what are we going to do? Well, we want to find some passive investments. So, we had a friend, he was investing in the Midwest and he was doing well buying uh, some houses out there and basically putting them there, buying them gutted, fixing them out, and renting them. It had some management company. So, we said, okay, let's look at that. So, we started actually going out there into Indiana and into Kentucky and buying some duplexes, triplexes, quads, and really getting that going to the point where we were able to get them, get them at a steep discount, get contractors to fix them up get property management import, get them rented. And now all of a sudden, now we're cash flowing. So it's really turned out great. We're doing great. We have, we have money come in. It's nice to see those checks. I don't have to do anything. I can't get in the way because I, it's a thousand miles away. So there's no way that I could get my hands in there and try and fix something or do something dumb and you know and break the process. Okay, great. So we're, we're doing well. We're doing this point. But what happens here with a duplex if one person moves out? Well, you're 50% occupied. What if two people moved out? Well, you, well you're... 0% occupied. I have now one roof for two people. I, ha- I now have insurance covering just two units. And now I have a management company that's basically charging a premium because really they can't work for a three or four percent like you can in a large multifamily. And if something breaks, if I, you know, a, a toilet breaks, well, I got to have the plumber you know, run out there and see what parts he needs. Look at the okay. I need this part now. Run back to the store now. Run back and fix this. So now I'm almost paying triple just to get a toilet fixed on these properties. So you can see your cash flow chew away uh, pretty quickly. So we looking at that. I said in my mind, well, we're cash flowing great, but the economies of scale here. If I want to really ramp this up, how many of these can I buy? It's going to take forever. You know, and and at this point, I get some of the cash and invest to get it stabilized. So what can I do? And well, what would this look like if I started buying 50 units or 100 units at a time? What would that do? And it just dawned on me that if I could take the scalability here where if I got 100 units, I have two people move out, no big deal, 98% occupied. Okay, 100 units. Well, maybe it's two buildings. Now I got 50 units in each building. So now I got a roof cover in that. So I only got one roof. Um, maybe HVACs at a at, at point, or I have a boiler running each of those two buildings. Okay, so I don't have a, a boiler and HVAC just covering one unit, I have now servicing multiple units. I can now hire staff, I can now hire full staff that can operate this property. So it dawned on my mind, well, okay, what I need to do is looking how to scale. And I need to find other people around me that are doing this and basically follow their steps. And that was the point where we created Oak Capital Partners, a multi-investment firm looking for value-add, uh, value-add opportunities in its core market. This is a little bit of an older slide. Uh, this was 2017. Uh, our first acquisition was a 94-unit Class C apartment complex in Louisville, Kentucky. So we basically, we just jumped for it. We were doing three and four families, and we went right from there up to a 94-unit. So we sold the small ones, went all in, and for that point, because we want passivity, we want generational wealth, and I want to be able to have my day where I can do with my day what I want and not have it dictated because I have to do something transactional. So we're going to talk a little bit about multifamily today because it's going to lead to a lot of other points here, but I figured it can give you some value to see why we did it or maybe even give you an idea if you, if you don't want to do this at all. At least it will give you some direction from there. So why multifamily? It hits a lot of boxes. With multifamily, you have cash flow. You have appreciation, you have tax advantages, depreciation, depreciation, debt pay down, and the kinds of scale. If you're flipping or you're wholesaling or, or you're doing just uh, you know, single family rental, there's so many points where you can't get all of these benefits and not all of them are wrong. You know, I've wholesale properties, we double closed property, we, we've done it, right? It's good. You get that, you get that money up front, but you lose in that point where you know, the tax man comes calling or you go to that point here where you have to do it again to repeat it because now you have so much marketing going out. So for this, there's very few classes where you can have so many things to your advantage. This is why we invest in large multifamily. Well, everyone needs a place to live. It says in 2030, the country will see the additional demand for 4.3 million new apartment households. We are not building that many households. So we need more renters than we can currently build for. And when people build, what, what do we need housing for? We need housing for the working force. We need housing for the blue collar. Well, there's not many people building, building apartment buildings that are for lower income or for the working force. They're building class A apartments. So looking at this point, looking at what this demand is, we knew there was a niche here that we can continue to buy these assets, service the need of working force and the working class because it's gonna constantly be in demand. They have the ability here that why I'm standing here talking to you is that they're creating income for us. They're creating cash flow for us. Without me, because I'm able to hire a full staff that's afforded by the property. You can force the appreciation of apartments. So, if you go in, who, who here flips homes? Right? And you put it on the market to sell. I mean, one, some of the most annoying things if someone comes in and they don't like it, it you, you paint it, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, it, it's shade of gray, right? And someone doesn't come in and the house is beautiful, they love the house, but they just, they just can't get past the shade of gray because they like a different shade of gray. Right? And it's just the most simple thing that someone, if we just had that conversation, we could fix, but now you're source. Or you know, they, you're putting grant and they want quartz. Or or you know, you're subjective to people's ideas of what they want that are that are valued, that really have no serviceable income to them. Well, with apartments, you can force the appreciation, which basically means that everything you do to add to the bottom line, basically just like a business, makes this more valuable. So if you buy the property, and it produces, after you take your income minus your expenses, $100,000 of income. If you take that property and you add in, say, another $100,000 to the bottom line of income, add a 10% cap rate if you're in that market, that's now another million dollars of value you just add to the property by basically improving the operations, just adding in the rent. Or it is. People don't care what the countertops is, they don't care if there's carpet in there, they don't care if there's you know vinyl siding, it's not to the point where that matters because it's all about building the income in the bottom here. Where it's not like a flip where you're destined to the buyer's protocol. Apartment investments are also inflation hedges, basically because as inflation grows, usually your rents are increasing. Usually you have your increases of rents that basically grow year to year. Apartments also now are a great part because you can refi and roll. So if I take that apartment and I now make it more valuable, where I point, maybe I get an eight percent loan to cost on the million dollar property. And that's what they point. So $800,000 loan, $200,000 that we have to put down. Well, if I improve that property where now it's worth, say, 1.5 million, and I'm now able to take uh, 80% of that. So you know 1.2 million is gonna be our loans. We're gonna be able to take out $300,000, $400,000 tax-free. Until we sell it. So, and for that point, there's so many different advantages you can do with these apartment buildings. So, here's some of the ways that we've improved uh, net operating income. And this goes for people that are doing rentals, uh, Airbnbs, other points here, because it all transcends water savings. One of the big things with older houses is that you go in there, you know, it's 3.8 gallon toilets, you get a ton of water going out. Well, imagine you have that going on in 94 unit building, right? So we'd go in there. We spent $25,000. We took all those toilets and we put in 1.2 gallon low-E flush toilets, put in uh, shower heads and aerators, right? Cut our water bill down by 30% for the entire building. So sounds good, right? You know how much value that created in that apartment building? $330,000 from changing toilets. The building was now worth $330,000 more from just changing our toilets. So small things can have a Titanic approach when you're basically dealing with apartment buildings. Adding additional units. Uh, if, you, if you have an, a second office or a neglected office uh, for a smaller complex, you could turn that into a unit. Uh, laundry revenue. You can get contracts for laundry where people will actually pay you so they can service it and you can do a split of revenue and be able to be, really have your hands off on the whole process here. You don't have have your maintenance staff counting, uh, counting coins. Um, so we had utility data here, right? You can get utility data. There's utility approaches in deregulated states where you can go in there and compete on your electri- electricity and your gas and other, other different dynamics. Moving fees. So in some of our apartment complexes, we don't do a, uh, a deposit or a security, a security deposit. We actually do a moving fee with a surety bond. So sometimes, you know everybody who's been a renter, go in there, you know, you're moving in day one, you nick the wall, right? Like, oh, you know, th- there it is. They're going to charge me, you know, $500 and it's, it's over. I'm, I'm losing this. Well, you have this tenant base that's so worried about the security deposit that we just got rid of it. We started charging a moving fee for getting the apartment ready and we make them do a sure bond on top of it. So it's a $75 sure bond, which uh, assures them up to one month's rent. So what happens with that moving fee? Well, that's more income. They, you know, $350 goes to my bottom line day one. And now I'm charging them a sure bond that's another $75. So now they're all in $425 where the average deposit for the, uh, the apartment complex on, or across the street was $525. So now I feel like they're getting a discount where I'm still being covered the same, just in a different way, and I have more income coming to the bottom line. Short-term rentals, we spoke about. Uh, pet fees. You want to look at what the market allows, right? If you're in an area here where your market Everybody else is renting the pets, right? This building here didn't allow dogs, didn't allow any pets at all. That's what their point. We don't want... There were 600 units around the area. All other units said, we're allowing pets. We're going to charge you a $300 non-refundable deposit and $25 a month for those pets. 600 units are doing it. It's going to mean that I'm going to be able to do it too, right? But when we did our inspection, there were seven units with dogs and one unit with a boa constrictor. So, So... We don't allow snakes, but on that point, they already had pets in there, and they could have been charging for them. So we put in pet fees. Now we get pet fees. It's just simple parts here where you can improve properties to get a lot more money coming across the board. Covered parking. Doesn't work you know, in certain areas, but if you're in Texas or in some of these parts where, where parking is a premium, you want to maybe uh, offer uh, covered parking, you want to offer parking that's closer to your unit if it's short on parking. You can charge for that. Uh, furnished units. There's some parts where you can charge a premium, just like you're doing for Airbnb, where you have a furnished unit that's almost to the point here where your people can just walk right in. Short-term units, we said, you can charge premium rents if you're doing a three-month or a six-month lease. Uh, this may be good if you're have, if you buying a property and all the leases end at the same date. You may want to offer short-term leases so you can start trajectory those leases so you don't have everybody leaving you know, in December when you know it's going to be hard to rent. So you can start offering basically leases that will stagger, so it'll be easier for you to keep up on the property and not have such a cycle here where you'll be basically zero on your income. <laughs> cell tower. I have not been able to do this, but I have friends they've been able to get cell tower on a property. If you get a cell tower, basically, or, or some of the signals on top, another income generator right there that you can basically add to the property. So, if we're looking here, what's the one thing we haven't even talked about yet? Increasing rent. The simple thing. The first thing that everybody thinks about, right? But if you're a tenant and you're someone who's renting, when a new guy buys the property, what's the first thing you're like, oh, they're gonna jack my rent. Oh, they're gonna take my rent up. Oh, this is horrible. But if you go in there, you clean up the property, you make it a better place to live, change out the landscape, put up new signage, start actually answering the maintenance calls, start making this property feel and look better, start improving it, doing the parking lots, changing out the toilets, it out the water. Well, now your property's worth more you're making more money. It has, nothing's happened to the tenants yet. Tenants feel good, and now you can say, Mr. and Mrs. Tenant, you know we've done all this work, we have gotta increase this rent a little bit. They're, they're gonna feel better about that approach, because your two biggest things when you're having rentals is really, it's turnover, because it's your time down, being vacant, and your turn cost. So if I can keep a renter, and where maybe I can get a $100 rent bump, but if I can give someone a $50 rent bump and do nothing in their unit, keep them for a little bit, and not be vacant for that month, and not have to spend $6,000 to turn out a unit, to me, that's a win. Not everybody has approached. Some people want to rip the bandaid off, but for me, we have investors that we, we have to make uh, basically distributions to. So I want to stabilize my downside. So I'm able to do so many things to increase our bottom line. There's so many opportunities for you, too, if you look at your competition. Look what you can either do that's going to align with their focus or also look at what you can possibly do better. So that's been very, very uh, good for us. Well, How are we doing this a 1,000 miles away? It all comes down to creating a team, right? You have some people here talking about management and other points, right? We had to put this team together. We did this before we got into these properties. We wanted to find a property manager that could service units. And if you're looking for a property manager, many times people hear disaster stories. To me, it comes down that it's generally because we're not asking the right questions. We're not looking to the point here where we're not being specific with that property manager what they actually want, right? If I'm looking for a property manager that services uh, Class C apartments in 75 to 100 units uh, and is fluid, has in-house construction, has real-time data that I can look at whenever I want on a computer, uh, is, uh, services section eight, and I find a property management company that is you know just new construction or just Class A units or just single-family homes, well, we're not gonna align. But some people don't even ask the question. And if you're not very clear with your property management company, hey guys, um, I want to do this, of, this type of turn, I want to put in this, these different income drivers, I want to do this different construction and have that talk track with them, be very specific, you're probably not gonna have good guidance, right? Because if you don't tell them what you want and they're doing what they think is right, well, usually that doesn't align. So for us, we started to create our own paradigm for how we wanted the property management to really achieve our goals with our property and then have feedback from them and just make sure that would work. This goes with all the other partners your lending partners for people here, you should be talking to banks, whether it's for flips or for wholesalers or for you know, turnkey or for buy and holds, because you want to know what are your options for lending, right? Because not every bank is going to be, if you just have one bank, well, that bank is not going to be perfect for all your opportunities, you know? So you want to have every, uh, find the opportunity and say, well, I have all these different p- tools for lending in my tool belt that I can pick from to be able to service the property. I'm here. So sometimes you may be using a a Fannie or Freddie. Uh, Sometimes you may have to do lending. Sometimes hard money. There's so many different ways that you could use this to your advantage, but you want to know what your options are based on the property. Other points, accounting partners, uh, asset management, portfolio management, and prospect and lead generation. Lead generation, of course, in all types of real estate, that's the kicker, right? That's the goal. You got to have lead generation to be able to produce results because if you're not having this, not sufficient in this, well then you're not gonna find the good deals. So it's either you're doing it or you find someone who's a partner with you that's gonna be able to do that sufficiently. With the lead generation, it's very important to track. That 94 unit, we actually offered on that 94 unit eight months before we brought it. We offered, it, they had it out, they had it for 3.2 million. We couldn't make it work at that number. We went in there with an offer of 2.1 million. They countered at 3.2 million. So we said, thank you guys. That, it's not going to work. So don't have very good uh, negotiation going on right now. So we, we appreciate your time. And we'll, uh, thank you. But what we did do is we put that down on our investor tracker. We said, okay, let's just put this down. Every time we would basically go and we would offer on a property, we would put it down, just put the result. So six so five or six months later, see this property had gone down off the market, just really had it moved. right? So we said, huh, okay, well, let's go back. So we increased our offer $50,000. Note, we're still over a million dollars apart. We said, okay, 2.15, you know, 2.2 million, uh, $150,000. Well, their $3.2 million offer had now come down to 2.6 million. But if we hadn't thought to think about tracking that, then on that point, we would have forgotten about it and moved on to other opportunities. But what happens with time is that either sellers get desperate, or they get realistic, especially in this market today. Everybody thinks their property is worth a trillion dollars. Well, sooner or not, maybe it is, but most of the time it's not. But it takes the market to tell them that. So, after a couple months of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, we were able to close that property at 2.3 million. And we just got to the end. We just said, guys, we're, we're, not, we're not trying to beat you up. Here's our underwriting. Like, this is where it is. Like, this is where it was. Because it was five kids who were, we'll say they're kids, but they're, they're, father had passed, he was in his 90s, had this, had 1,000 single-family homes in this apartment complex. And they thought this apartment complex was the problem when I thought it was the solution. But they said, well, we think it's worth this amount of money just based on some random offer. And they just kept it. None of them were in the state. None of them wanted anything to do with this. So they finally started getting realistic for what the actual numbers were. We sent them over our underwriting to say, guys, we have investors we have to you know, meet. These are the returns we need to meet. And this is what it was. And we were able to get that deal done at $2.3 million. And that was just us being really just aggressively patient. So getting creative, right? Brokers. We all need brokers. They're they're your lifeline. You're not going to get the good properties from the brokers day one. They're going to get out there. They're going to give the people that they know have a track record of closing. But if you can be there, you can be specific. And especially with the agents in here tonight. I mean, we had a couple agents, right? So Dan. So if I went up to Dan and said, I want to buy real estate. Dan's going to be like, I'd love to help you, but I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what, but if I, you know, if I went up to Dan and uh, I just say, you know, Dan, I want to buy, um, it's multifamily, right? I, I want to buy 75 to 100 units, uh, BC assets, garden style apartments in the South central side of Louisville, uh, value add, whether it's on the building side or the property side. Well, now Dan's got something to work with. So if you have a point here and you'd be specific with people, they'll be able to help you and talk to everybody, you know, right? Because you'll find that we've actually had deals come from property management company, cost segregation people, because we're just talking to people, telling people what we're looking for. Look for the mom and pop owners. You'd be surprised what mom and pop owners look like. Look for the mom and pop owners because they're the people that are doing all the repairs. We bought a 48 unit. The guy had had the property 25 years. We're there on the day of actually doing the inspection. The guy has a series of keys. There's like 250 keys. You can't find the keys for the apartment. People are coming up, handling bags of cash. His phone's ringing. He's got, you know, just, it was nuts. He's going crazy. No wonder he wants to sell. He was so overwhelmed. He was so stressed out and his poor wife was sick. So he was looking for a way out and just a release to be able to get on this property. He had a unit that was turned minus he had to put carpet down and he had a lease on it. So people wanted to move in. He said, I'm probably going to get to it for like three and a half weeks. That was it. He just had to put carpet down because he was doing the turn himself you think he was tired, and that was a mom-and-pop owner because he, he just was doing all the work himself, he had no systems in place, and although it was giving him great cash flow, he was killing himself for it. Property management companies. If you're a property management company, it's the most unforgiving job in the world. If you do bad, you get fired. If you do good, the people sell the property and you're out of a job. So either way, you're basically without a job, right? So if you are a good property management company doing a good job and you know that your current owner wants to sell the property, maybe they're doing well or maybe they're undercapitalized, well, don't you want to have another buyer that's going to use your services come in there and buy it? So if you can keep this report, with these property management companies, it's been very lucrative and very helpful for us to do that. Focus mailers. Everybody's doing single family homes. You know how important this is. I'm, uh, how am I doing on time? All right? Yeah, okay underwriting levels of analysis. So for multifamily, you, you can't just fly out, you know, fly over the country and just see properties. You just won't get anywhere. You want to make sure it even uh, basically cuts, cuts really the mustard, right? So we're going to look at a property and just based on our parameters, if we want 75 to 100 units in a C-class assets and I'm getting, you know, a 12-unit Class A property, I'm just going to cross it right off the list. Okay, now if I'm getting that 75, and that's basically your, your top level. You've got, I'm getting a 75 to 100-unit Building, now I'm getting that across my desk. Okay, so now it meets that first checkbox. So I'm going to jump in now to really my bird's eye view where I want the trailing 12 months of financials, the rent and roll, and the operating memorandum. I'm going to start diving into that to see if now some of the numbers start making sense. If I can look into that and start making sense of the numbers to the point where, remember, You can be $500,000 off and still have have a story to make an offer. You can be a million dollars off, still have a story. So it's a lot bigger of a price point here where you can still have a story where you want to make an offer, but you want to see if it's even making sense. Am I even anywhere close to it? And where is it? If I know the property could produce this much income or my expenses should be at this point and they're not doing that, where can I capitalize? Okay, if I see there's more value in that, then I may have some of our partners that we talked about you know, two slides earlier, my property management partners or, you know, my attorney partners, some of my boots on the ground, go out and see the property, but I may even make an offer just to see if they're realistic at the point here where I just have the financials, just to see if we even start a talk track to get to a point here where we're actually going to go down a pipeline to get into a full detailed analysis. Deal structure. So there's a million different ways, right? And my way is not going to be your way. Everybody's way way can be different. I've just done the way that I've done it. We syndicate on deals. And what that means is we raise money from a series of investors. We pull all of our resources so we can buy larger apartment complexes so we can all benefit from the economies of scale. Now, you you could buy properties yourself buy it with a partner you can find basically lending partners and you can you know just provide the equity uh you can have silent partners you can have uh an llc where everybody forms together to do it uh we do a part here where we create an llc that is a general partner which is us who basically manages the property manages the property management and limited partners who are basically all the people who are just bringing in money as a passive investment and that's how we that's how we structure our deals what they look for here is we use that here where those limited partners and ourselves, we'll put in money for the down payment, for all of our closing costs, for our fees, and for all of our capital expenditures and construction. And we'll service that by combining that with debt so we can have the best leverage for the property. The holding period is really going to depend on the opportunity, just like you have for a flip. Some flips are quick exits, some flips, you know, you have to a point where they're going to be a longer part, you know, you're putting addition on or other points. So knowing our market, knowing our sub, uh, opportunity and knowing our sub market is very important for basically how we're going to structure a deal because we want to tell the investors, we want to prepare them. And even when you're doing flips and raising money or bringing private, investor, private investors on for flips, if it's a part here where people want to put their money to work and you to give their money back in a month, well, they may be happy with that. They may not because they, now they've got to find somewhere else to put it. Or if you're going to hold their money for 10 years, you want to be able to have that story of why you're going to have this apartment complex and what are the values of holding this apartment complex. So as you begin raising money, think about what type of properties you're doing and what those properties are going to service and who that investor is going to be. Because there are certain investors that just are so busy. You know, we have doctors who invest with us, work, you know, a million hours a week but want to put their money to work, but don't have time to find deals, so they'll put it together. Some want it short-term, where they want a six or a nine-month turnaround, and some want it for, you know, put, a, put to work for a couple years, so they don't have to worry about now reinvesting that money each time. Knowing your CapEx numbers. Very important, just like for the flip here, you have to always have reserves, always having to this point the, for contingencies, because, I mean, who's had, who's had the perfect flip in here? Yeah, yeah. me neither, right? so. Never. There's always something that comes up. There's always something that comes up. You're never going to have that perfect timeline. You're never going to have that perfect budget. You're, you're going to do everything in your power to reserve correctly, everything in your power to put together for, for what you think you can do. But numbers either going to, you know, sometimes you'll run short, sometimes you'll, you'll run long, but there's always going to be a certain point that you need to really have that extra reserve there. Because generally people don't lose because, you know, they're doing a lot of projects or scaling up. They lose because they're not reserved correctly. They may have a lot of leverage that you can use and leverage can be good, but if you have a lot of leverage and the market shifts on you and you need to hold the properties cut, you know, three or four months longer, well, if you don't have the, those reserves that cover you know, yeah, any uh, of you know, your, your interest rate loans or any of your debt service, well, you're going to be in trouble. So make sure to reserve correctly because it's, you don't want to be in a position here where you're putting other people's money at risk. And that's the most important thing here is one, you want to give people great returns, but even more important than that is you want to return people's money especially if you're taking money, people's money on. One to five year budget, this of course is gonna come down to more apartment complex or other buy and hold strategies. Uh, but again, have a budget for what that's gonna look like because you're gonna do all your renovations day one, but you may not have to change out all the ACs or you know, all the apartments you can't walk in and turn day one because you have leases. So how's that gonna look over the life of the hold? And even you know, triplex or your quads in here. You may have them that you have one unit vacant, or you may have two, but the other ones are a year lease, and they just started. So what's that trajectory going to look like? What do I need to reserve for when that, that uh, tenant moves out? And finding the money. You will be amazed here that for people looking to raise money, where you'll find money. And I have too. you will be just shocked of who you know, worked at a bank, and then they moved to another bank, and they have you know, $100,000 sitting in the IRA just sitting there dead. So talk to people, tell them what you're doing because these opportunities, especially in real estate, it's a great opportunity. And we, what we love about apartment buildings is asset backed security. So for them, they have a way that they can put their money to work with something that is asset backed, right? Stock market's great if you do it right. But you know, if Apple goes down or I don't like their marketing, I can't call up Apple and say, Hey guys, I don't like your strategy. Can we, can we change that up? Right? With apartments, you can have real-time change, you can help the value to the apartments and really use people's money to put to work. So you have friends, family, um, inner circle, banks, non-bank lenders, hard money lenders, uh, IRA, life insurance, personal savings, uh, private equity, hedge funds, lines of credit. We actually, uh, self-directed IRAs, we, for two of our deals, raised half our money from people using our self-directed IRA because people want to put their money to work. So. Think about people who really are, just have money that was sitting you know, in a job and they left a the job and now that money is just dying, especially in some of these rough weeks we've had in the stock market and they want to move forward. Think about those people, talk to them, tell them what you're doing. Have these conversations now, especially if you're looking to buy real estate and you want to get into it. Talk to people and create a plan about what you're doing because there's nothing harder to sell when you actually need the money. You want to talk to them now. What we did is we, we actually raised money for buying an apartment complex before we actually had an apartment complex under contract or were even making offers. I created a mock deal. I said, okay, here's the property we're going to look for. This is what we're going to look for, guys. Because what happens when you go talk to somebody about something that's new, especially new what you're doing, well, they're not even looking at a the deal. They're looking at you. They're saying, okay, well, you are, you know, you're the painter or you, know, you work in finance and now, now you're raising money for an apartment buildings. They have to get used to you doing something new. And now they have to understand this maybe this new space about investing in real estate or investing in apartment buildings and why that's a viable source. And only then they can understand the deal. But if you're trying to do this and you have to close you know, a couple million dollar loan in three, four, five, or three, you know, 30 days, and now you're having that talk with the people, now they have to get used to you, get used to the strategy, and get used to the, the deal you have in a contract, well, now it puts you at a point of actually being desperate. So we went out there because now people get used to us. They understand what you're looking for, understand why we were doing it. So when we got that apartment complex under contract, we now said, hey, uh, Joe, you know, you, you talked about uh, being interested in investing in apartment buildings, you know, talk about putting in 50000 We actually did find a deal that fits right in the parameters we were looking for, and here's the deal. It made it a lot more of a warm conversation when we went back with people because it wasn't our first time talking to them about it. They were used to us now investing in this space, whether it was flipping, wholesaling, you know, any of this, wholetailing. Whatever it was, they were used to what we were doing, so now they understood it, understood why we were doing it, the market we were in, the team we were building, the deals we were going to look for. And it made it so much easier for us to go back there and said, here it is. How does it sound now? Great. Perfect. So. How can one get involved in an apartment complex? You don't have to do everything. There's so many different people here and it comes down to having money, time, knowledge, and credit. And you can have all of them, you can have one of them, but at this point, it's gonna be, what do you have that others don't? Because the doctor, he's got no time, he's got money, he's got credit, he's got no time. Someone can bring him a deal and bring him good opportunities, well, now you've just filled that void. You may not have any money or have any uh, credit, but you have all the time in the world and you, you know how to underwrite these deals because you've been learning, you've been putting work in, and you can find these deals and partner, partner up with those money partners. So look at what you can bring to the table. And from us, we do the GP side. We find the deal, we underwrite the deal, the sponsor loan guarantor, and we bring equity to the deal as part of the GP, as part of our share. And then we partner that with, investive, uh, invest, with people who invest passively, who are limited partners in the deal with an experienced operator. So, these are some of the things we were working on. Uh, we did close this 48 unit. It was um, six months ago, five months ago. Uh, 284 unit uh, closed in December in uh, Austin. Under contract on the 32 unit, we'll close next month. Um, pretty much what I shared, I'm just gonna continue to use those strategies because that's, that's our MO. That's how we're operating. That's what we put out. Creating cash flow through multifamily investments. Uh, we do continue to raise houses. Every day, we're up there raising houses. We're raising houses in uh, Munaki up this way tomorrow. If you want to come see a house raised to Sedita. And for that point, continue to use that strategy. We still do flips, but we don't do many of them just because, again, I'm now creating myself more of a job. And helping others achieve their investment goals. One of the best parts about buying apartment buildings is that we're able to give people another viable option that they can invest in. that gives them a great return. So think about not always about what you need to do. Think about how you can help others. And if you turn it and spin it around, you can get a lot back for yourself. Uh, so a little bit, Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. And there's a website. Um, and Michael, who is a gem in the office, if you uh, do this texting, you can get a free uh, case study on how we did close that 94 unit. And I'm sure... Sonny can get you the slides, but that's my story. Cool. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I lost Sonny. Oh, there you are.